Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. How are you expressing this stuff? Are you expressing it in the most favorable way? Are you expressing it in a way that emphasizes what people will miss out on? Are you communicating the information itself in a way that's going to be most compelling to your customer? The skimmability. So in other words, although it's 10 words, can I, what happens if I skim read it? And skim reading it, it's basically going, is your marketing loyalty without realizing? If you don't switch to less ugly shirts, if you continue wearing what you're doing, then you're going to lose the friends that you have. You're not going to be um, received positively in social situations. So Ryan, good news, mate. We've heard from a listener. That is good news. It really is, yes. So um, now, those now, of you... Was this something good or, or was it another threat? <laughs> yeah, it was another customer complaint, mate. Okay, good. <laughs> At least we're making an impact of some kind. And we'll do what most companies do, shall we? We'll just ignore them. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm only joking. I'm being facetious. A lot of companies do a lot of good things for them and some don't. But there you go. So uh, you will recall on our 200th episode, we launched the... I'm in a pickle. Yes. Slot. So for those of you that haven't heard about this, this I'm in a pickle is a problem section of the podcast. I would argue that most of what we do is problem sections, Colin. Uh, yes. Well, they turn out to be problems. Yeah, we, we screw <laughs> up a lot of things. Of <laughs> so what I mean by that is we've asked people to basically contact us and tell us what their challenges are, what the problems are, what advice they want, whatever it may be, saying I'm in a pickle. We've had the first one through, which is really good. And it's a, it's really quite a good one, which I think is fairly common. And this is about response rates. This is from a guy called Clive Thomas. And he basically wrote in and said, how do I increase my response rates on emails? Mm. Okay. Now, I'm sure that everybody wants to increase their response rates on emails. In fact, this is an interesting question, is it? Who doesn't want to increase their response rate? <laughs> I, I often cast emails out into the void, you know, just uh, yeah. hoping nobody will read them. Yes, no, absolutely. So what we're going to do and the way we're going to run this is that's the problem. Ryan and I have been kicking this around. So Ryan's going to give some theory behind some of the ways of resolving this and the ways of looking at this. And then towards the end, we will do what we usually do, which is effectively the so what. So we're going to come back to the problem and go, okay, so given those are some of the theories, what does that mean that Clive should do to increase the response rate? And by the way, if this is useful to people then, and, and you've got a challenge or an issue or you're in a pickle about something, then please just drop us an email at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. So, Ryan, pretend you were dealing with one of your clients and they said, hey, Ryan, how do I increase my response rate on emails? What would you what would you say? 
Well, you were right. I mean, this is a, a common problem. Anybody who's who's trying to communicate and break through the clutter uh, on email or any other kind of, of medium is going to run into this. I thought of a couple of different theoretical approaches that, that we could use to deconstruct this. The first one that came to mind was framing, which is something we've talked about before. Yep. Framing is the basic idea that information doesn't come across in some kind of pure distilled intelligence. Instead, it comes through some framing, some perspective that is is given to us that invariably emphasizes some parts of the information more than others. So those are a little abstract. We give you some examples. The most common types of framing uh, that's been studied in psychology is gain versus loss framing. So Colin, suppose I'm, I'm trying to persuade you of something to, um, I don't know, wear less ugly shirts going forward. Thanks for that yeah. feedback. Uh, I mean, we're, we're here to help you, Colin. <laughs> so I could express that information. I could, I could persuade you, try to persuade you by telling you about the things that you'll gain by switching to, you know, less ugly shirts in your wardrobe. Yep. You'll have more friends, you know, people will like you more, those kinds of things. I could also give you exactly the same information framed as a loss, as a, a negative way. So if you don't switch to less ugly shirts, if you continue wearing what you're doing, then you're going to lose the friends that you have. You're not going to be um, received positively in social situations. So it's the same information, right? But just put in a negative manner. Just, yeah, focusing on what you'll lose by not doing this, right? Um, other examples of gain-loss framing, you know, you can frame a surgery as being uh, something that has a 90% survival rate or a 10% mortality rate. Same information, but one is framed in terms of emphasizing the gains, one is framed in terms of emphasizing the losses. So far, so good? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I presume this has its genesis in loss aversion so loss aversion is the most studied type of framing right so if we're talking about gains versus losses that is absolutely loss aversion and the reason that that it's so interesting is because people respond to loss frames much more strongly than they respond to to gain frames so if you tell me that the surgery has a 10 percent mortality rate I'm going to be much less likely to want to have the surgery than if you told me it has a 90% survival rate. So focusing on the gains is good. Focusing on the losses is much more persuasive. That's much more likely to get a response. I'm just thinking about news now. Yeah. Because if you think of news, most news channels, most newspapers, it's all bad news, isn't it? Yeah. Is that to do, therefore, with, I guess that must be just to be, and maybe I'm, we're going a little bit off subject <laughs> response rates on emails, but I was just about to turn around and say that I guess that goes into the whole bit about sort of mortality and wanting the, from a human psyche perspective, wanting to keep safe and therefore looking out for problems that could cause us issues going forward. I mean, I'll, I'll answer your question, but before I do, I want to point out that like when I used a hypothetical example, I talked about your ugly shirts. When you use a hypothetical example, you, you talk about people dying. The, the whole species dying. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Not to get things out of context, of course. 
these things are not as different as they may seem. News organizations are also trying to get a response out of yes. people. They're also yeah. trying to get people to tune in, to pay attention, to, you know, change their behavior, perhaps to watch more. So the idea that that, that looking at that what newscasters do is somehow totally divorced from email response rates, I would push back. I think that's actually a very reasonable thing to also look at. They're, they're all kind of a, a part of getting a response out of people. There's more to it than just one thing, as we, as we often say. But absolutely, loss-framed news is going to, in general, generate a bigger response than gain-framed news. Now, there are other ideas baked into there. There's something called negativity bias, uh, which is different from loss aversion, but it also suggests that we have a preference for negative information over positive information. Um, so it's it's in line with that. But yeah, I mean, in general, if you frame the news in, an, in a loss-oriented way, people are going to pay more attention to it. They're going to be more interested in it. They're going to remember it more. They're going to react to it more strongly. Yeah, and it made me think, actually, and, and again, we are definitely going off piece there, but there you go. It made me think that when you hear about gossip, gossip tends to be negative things, doesn't it? Yep. Did you hear what Bert Scroggins did the other day or or whatever that may be? Going back to the news part of it, I mean, one of the things, that, and, and, and going back to the subject of about increasing response rates, I say to my team, to go and look at the headlines of news outlets who are clearly good at putting over a message in a very short number of words, yeah? Yes. Because I think that becomes important. And again, looking at it from that sort of negative perspective, I think is, again, really quite interesting. So I, I want to push back a little bit around the idea of negativity versus losses. Sometimes when we talk about loss aversion, we talk about negative information. I want to make a, a slight distinction there. Sometimes when I've talked to clients and explained loss framing, they say, well, we don't want to go negative. Our brand is positive, and so we don't want to focus on negative things. Focusing on a loss is not necessarily focusing on negative information. It's focusing on what people will miss out on. It's focusing right. on the losses that they experience. So... For example, one of the studies that was done where a, a mailer was sent out by a bank encouraging people to change to, from uh, using cash to using debit cards. They talked about the, the benefits you could get from using the debit card relative to cash, or they talked about the losses that you would incur from continuing to use cash. So in both cases, it was the same information. So it's not like in one case they went positive, in one case they went negative. In one case, they focused on the gains associated with that behavior. In the other case, they focused on the losses associated with not engaging in that behavior. So I realize it's a subtle distinction. Does that does that make sense, though? Yeah, no, it does. And I guess the challenge is that you have to think about it as well from a brand perspective. Yes. Because the danger is, is that if you suddenly create all of your emails with negative headlines, yes, that feels wrong. And that's why it was. it's very important to emphasize that we're not talking about going negative and doom and gloom yeah. so much as focusing on what the person will gain versus what a person will lose. That's the key distinction. And some of that will be going negative, and that may just not be consistent with your brand or that might not be right for other reasons, but it doesn't have to all be negative. Instead, let me frame it in a different way. We've talked a lot in recent years about fear of missing out, right? FOMO. Yep. 
FOMO is a loss aversion phenomenon, right? You don't want to miss out on this opportunity. That's loss aversion. That's a loss framing. We could talk about what you would gain by taking advantage of this opportunity, or we could talk about what you would lose out on by not taking advantage of this opportunity. So I wouldn't frame that as being negative information so much as focusing on the loss. Right. That makes sense. And the example I always like about framing is the one of um, when you're comparing a a car and a, a car, the miles per gallon, you can either turn around and say that this car does 25 miles to the gallon, or you can say that this car is best in class for petrol consumption. Yeah. Yes. Now that's not being negative. It's just taking that same information, but looking at it from a different perspective. And I think that's the key here, isn't it? Yes. It's basically going, how do I create this in a way that's going to become engaging and maybe looking at it from that more negative perspective, but without saying that the world's going to come to an end unless you buy this product. We wanted to thank everybody for listening. You are great and the reason we do this. We're really pleased that we now have over 200 episodes. We've seen the podcast grow and grow. And now, according to Buzzsprout, it is in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. Thank you. That is truly amazing and not possible without you. But we have one request of you. Can you please tell a friend, a neighbor, or even someone you hate? It'll be really good to get more listeners and it encourages Ryan and I to continue to produce the show. So please just tell a friend. That's a very nice distinction that you made there. And I'm glad you brought it up. Gain and loss framing is only one type of framing. If we're going to go back to how do I increase the response rates on my email, the reason that framing is a good place to start is essentially because it's free, right? So you don't need to do anything differently other than think about how you're framing the information that you are providing. Like, how are you expressing this stuff? Are you expressing it in the most favorable way? Are you expressing it in a way that emphasizes what people will miss out on? Are you communicating the information itself in a way that's going to be most compelling to your customer? Or... Are you communicating it in the way that you've just always done it in the past or the way that your competitors are always doing it? So, or the, yeah. the first thing that comes to mind, this should be a deliberate decision that you make in terms of framing. Whilst we're talking about that, let me tell you about a service that I use. And let me also stress at this point in time that I'm not being engaged by this organization to tell you, I just think it's a bloody good thing, basically, to tell people about this. So when we do the headlines of our podcasts and other things we use a service called headline studio you can obviously google it and one of the things i like about this because i have to say what we know from increasing email responses that titles and those things are really really important what i don't like is clickbait i don't think anybody likes clickbait but there's a whole skill involved in coming up with you know a a good title all right Absolutely. Now, this headline studio that we that we use, and I'm looking at it now, they use seven or eight different areas. They look at word balance. 
they look at the number of words that you use okay and it's actually surprisingly it's not like you should only use three or four it's like eight or nine i think they look at character count they look at headline type they look at reading grade level they look at sentiment they look at clarity and they look at skimmability okay and basically what you do is you sit here you type in your headline you press the button and it grades all of your scores against all of those areas. Wow. And then it comes back and it tells you, for instance, I'm looking at one here that we are going to be doing in a couple of weeks' time. For instance, I started off calling this, is your marketing inadvertently killing your customer loyalty without realizing? And that got a score of 69. But when I look at one that we did here, or another version of that is, is your marketing inadvertently killing your customer focus? That's got a score of 72. But it basically tells you that you need to sort of increase the emotional words that you put in things, increase the uncommon words to simplify your text, to increase what they call power words, but sort of more dramatic type of of words as well. So I have to say we we use that and it's worth checking out. But again, when you're looking overall, I think those things are important. And I'd, I'd be very surprised if they build in, if they building behavioral science into this and what we're just talking about here about in terms of negativity. But it's interesting they do build in the whole area of um, emotional word bank. Is this making sense? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I We've talked about framing being important and, and one opportunity for increasing. I think another one is around the title of the email and in terms of grabbing attention. And I think a lot of the items that you talked about do concern grabbing attention. So more emotional things, right? Science has a lot of information on what grabs attention. Uh, more emotional things grab attention. Absolutely. The unexpected grabs attention. So if yeah. it's a headline that sounds too much like, a headline that you've read a million times before, you're not going to be as likely to pay attention to that. You know, the timing of emails can affect attention. If this is something that you get an email from this organization every day, then it's going to be much easier for you to just kind of mentally screen that out. It's not going to seem like news. Yeah. Let me read this to you so because this is actually quite interesting and I think ties into what we're saying. So the title I put in here is, is your marketing inadvertently killing your customer loyalty without realizing? Okay, that's the title. And they've analyzed it. And they've basically gone, yeah, it's about the right length of words, 10 words, yeah? Uh, headlines with around 12 words tend to earn the highest number of click-throughs. Character count is about 70. Headlines with 70 characters long tend to earn the number of click-throughs. This is an interesting one. The title again is, is your marketing inadvertently killing your customer loyalty without realizing it? It's basically telling me that's too much of a complex title. It's yeah. telling me that your headline is of 10th grade or higher reading level, which may may make it difficult for readers to comprehend, switch out the complex words of your headline to improve readability. And then interestingly enough, and this ties into therefore what you're saying, Ryan, is negativity. Your headline conveys a negative sentiment. Hmm. Negative sentiments can drive engagement through surprise or uncertainty, but tend to perform less well than positive sentiments. Consider replacing negative words with positive words to increase the engagement. Now, that would actually, to be honest, that would go against what we've been talking about here, wouldn't it? Well, again, I, I would 
push back on the negativity versus losses as being equivalent. Right. There's definitely overlap. So there's some loss framing that is negative information. Yeah. But a lot of loss framing is more about, you know, missed opportunities. Yes. Um, which is not a fear appeal per se. It's not it's not focusing on the negative. It's focusing on the losses. So again, I I don't think it's as conflicting as it might seem at first. Yes. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying, because this is saying the negative words that we have in that title is killing and inadvertently. So it's saying those two words are negative, not the whole sentiment of right. of the thing, is it? And the other interesting one is then, just to complete this, the skimmability. Mm-hmm. So in other words, although it's 10 words, can I? what happens if I skim read it? Right. And skim reading it, it's basically going, is your marketing loyalty without realizing? So in other words, it, it's picking out those things as things that you would tend to skim, which may be interesting because it's probably the beginning of the sentence and the end of the sentence. Yeah, that would make sense. And the other interesting thing is it then gives you an SEO score. Sounds like I'm a salesman for this place, but I, think uh, I was going to say, um, <laughs> I appreciate that, that you're not being paid by them yet, but I think maybe you should be. No, maybe this falls into the Apple category where I definitely <laughs> should be paid to talk about Apple, shouldn't I? Any other psychological things that we should be taking into account? So go back to Clive's, I'm in a pickle, as Clive says. How do I increase my email response rates? The last one that I'll mention is just the importance of understanding your customers' goals and motivations when you're trying to grab their attention. So there's a phenomenon in psychology called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, which is essentially the idea that when you're thinking about something, you notice instances of it much more often out in the world. Right. You could be driving to and from work every day and it's just part of your experience. But then as soon as you start thinking about buying a new car, in particular a, a yeah. new type of car. So I'm, I'm thinking about buying a Jeep. You start seeing them everywhere. Lorraine, my wife turned around and said, she said, Oh, we're seeing a lot of those cars now. I go, Yeah, but I, I I couldn't remember what it was. I, I said, I need to talk to Ryan because there was some psychological effect <laughs> that's affecting you. Well now that I've said it, you'll remember the Bader Meinhof effect. You'll start seeing it everywhere. The name, actually, and I learned this when I was preparing for this episode, I had assumed that Bader and Meinhof were two German psychologists who discovered this phenomenon. It's not, though. Bader Meinhof is the name of a German terrorist organization. Yeah, from I was going to say, yeah. that's right. Yeah, and so the, the name of this came about because someone in the 90s noticed that they had heard the mention of this two decades old terrorist organization twice within 24 hours and started to try to put this together. And so it came to be known as the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. The reason that I bring it up in the context of, of emails is this works when we're skimming our inboxes as well. If there's some goal that you have, if there's some problem you're trying to solve, then as you're skimming over these emails in your inbox, if one of them addresses that problem, that's going to pop out at you more. You're going to notice that more. If the, our listener who, who wrote the I'm a pickle problem for us, Clive, if he's gotten an email today that says, 
What can you do to increase your response rates in your email? There's a greater chance that he'll notice that out of the sea of all of his emails because that isn't an active salient problem that he's got. Right. Okay. Makes sense. Understand your customers. Okay. What does it mean that we do? So let's try and bring it back to some practical advice. So again, go back to Clive. He wants to increase his response rate. What headlines, what are the three things he should do? Number one, consider framing. There's no neutral information. All information that you communicate is being framed in one way or another. Are you thinking about it? Are you planning your framing? Gain loss framing is just one kind of framing. You could also consider framing things in the most positive light or in the most surprising way, right? So, but, but think about the way that you're communicating the information because that is not neutral. Yeah, and the, the other thing I would build on top of that is I find it really useful to reverse things. So either to put the end of the sentence at the beginning or to completely come at it from a different perspective. So as you said earlier, whenever I look at a piece of data, I always go, okay, so 10% are doing that. That means 90% aren't. So which so way should I put that around? Yeah, and not just that, but saying 10% is one way of looking at it, saying 90% is another way of looking at it. You could say one out of 10. You could turn around and say, you know, if you're talking about 20%, one out of, uh, well, one out of five people, I guess that's the same bloody thing, basically. Well, all of these are the same thing. That's that's kind of the point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The issue for me is look at it from a different perspective and even write what I tend to do personally is write a number of these things down and then just think about, well, which of these make sense. The other thing I do whilst I'm on a bit of a roll here is I test things all the time. Yeah. One of the things that we've done a lot with our emails is to do A-B testing. That's great. And it's so easy to do A-B testing and just see which one has the biggest traction. I don't know, Clive, if you're, if you're doing that. You can obviously test loads of things and do A-B testing. And again, for your audience, that that may help as well. That's great. Any third one for you, Ryan? Just the importance of understanding your customers' needs and and what they're thinking about. It's so common for us to think about this from our perspective, right? So I'm selling this thing. I know what this thing is and I know kind of what it excels at. So let me communicate that as opposed to thinking about, well, what are my customers thinking about? What are the problems that they're trying to solve? There may be a good alignment there but it may be slightly off. And if you take their perspective, it'll give you a better idea of how to grab their attention, how to persuade them. So get inside your customer's head. Great. Okay. So Clive, I hope that's useful. hope that's useful to other people. If you're in a pickle and you want a problem solved and you want a bit of advice, then please, all you've got to do is drop us uh, an email at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. It could be any business problem that you, you're having and we don't need to read your name out. If it's your bosses are pain in the neck, what should you do? And you don't want your name to be read out, that's fine as well. So we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? 
That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.